on the Sabbath. We pray that whatever's going on, whatever programs we have planned, whatever outreach we have planned, we would remember why we do these things. We would remember Jesus and his, his eternal sacrifice to us. We would remember what you have done for us and that we would respond to that love. In your name, amen. Well, this is, is the mic still on? It's not on? It's not. Thanks, Norman. Okay, how about now? The green light is on. Can you hear me? All righty. Good stuff. So did anyone hear all that mushy stuff I was saying? Oh, man. Okay, I thought I got away with it. Okay. Well, today ends our two, my, my first series, first two-part series. Um, we had a, a break with Pastor Brian coming for that pulpit swap. Was, that, was ever, anyone blessed by that other than me? That was a wake-up call, let me tell you. Just the, that the stats about young people in the church and, and, and older people in the church and that necessity for all of us to be good teachers. Anyway, referring back to two weeks ago when we started this, this series, uh, remember it's called As For Me and My House. And what we're doing in the, in the, next, or in the, the last two sermons, last one including this one, is we're going to be looking at families that because of one member sought the Lord, all of the rest of their family also got the joy of experiencing salvation as well. So two weeks ago, we looked at one character in particular. Does anyone remember who that was? It was Rahab. We looked at Rahab and we saw that even though Rahab had some bad things going for her, even though she had some good things going for her, ultimately, why was she saved? Why was her family saved? Her faith, yeah. And because she brought who into her home? She brought the spies into her home, but who did they represent? Jesus. She was ultimately saved, say it with me, because she invited Jesus into her home. That was the reason that Rahab obtained that salvation. She had Jesus living in her home. Not just truths, and as far as facts are concerned, not just factual truths, not just good works, but because she had Jesus living in her home. This week, we're going to be looking at another character in Scripture that, that many of you may have heard of. Some of you may not, and that's okay. Cornelius the Centurion. Cornelius the Centurion in the book of Acts. And we're going to look at the cost of discipleship. What is required for someone to continually be seeking the Lord? So we're going to be looking at Cornelius and our emphasis is the cost of discipleship. So who are we looking at? Cornelius. And what are we learning about him? The cost of discipleship. Very good. Very good. Okay. Hermeneutics teacher. That was a good series introduction, right? Yeah? Okay, cool. Now we're going into our sermon introduction. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just helping you with, with undergrad and theology. Um, this... <laughs> Summer is closing, and uh, I know we already talked about it. This is, this is my 
second to last Sabbath here, and I'm going to miss you all. And I'm going to miss the warmth and, and, yes, not having to do essays and papers and, and tests. But there's one other thing that I'm really, really going to miss about summer. And anyone who knows me can tell me, water, that's right. I'm known here. Water. I am going to miss water. Water is just amazing. We went kayaking with the Reeves a few weeks ago, water fights, watching the preschoolers have their, their water days. It's excellent, excellent. We went to the water park. Um, I'm going to miss water, and something that I love about water specifically, I haven't done it for a while, is water skiing. Are there any other water skiers out here? Yeah! I know that was kind of, kind of an error back, unfortunately, but I remember uh, error back, unfortunately, not an error. Um, we, I, I remember being at my grandparents' home and they had these skiers like leaning to the side and that rooster tail of water was just streaming the back of their skis. It's just like, I want to be like that. So I wanted to learn how to ski. Third grade came, we went up to Lake Trinity and my mom's back there, I'm going to embarrass her. Um, I remember my grandpa got me this weird thing. It was kind of like a U. It was this, this U-shaped board, and you had one, fit, one foot on one leg of the U and one foot on the other, the other part of the U. And up front, you were strapped in, and you just kind of put your legs in there. And I remember the first time the boat started up, and we started speeding up, and I'm just like, yeah, this is going to be cool. I'm going to look like the people in the pictures, except I'm going to be on this U. And all of a sudden, I realized I was going, but I was going under the water. It was a submarine U. It was a U-boat. Um, so we were, we were cruising, and, and I was underwater, and I, I just remember thinking, I'm going to drown. Because it's my first time, and something I've been told is, don't let go of the rope. So I'm holding on to that rope, and then finally I'm thinking, this is dumb. Let go of the rope, and I'm safe, right? Well, from that moment on, I didn't ski for another probably three years. Guess how good of a water skier I was when I started next? didn't learn because I wasn't following the boat. I wasn't following the boat. A little cheesy, but let's work with it. I wasn't following the boat. I wasn't practicing. I wasn't keeping up with it. So guess what happened? I was delayed as a water skier. Um, fortunately, now I, I think I can still do it. Um, but it was a learning process. It's something that you have to develop in. Something that's really interesting about Cornelius is as you see his, his walk through um, what, when we're first introduced to him in Acts 10, through the rest of it, is you get to see him grow as a person. And yeah, have some struggles, but continue to follow that. And we're going to be looking at those things today. So let's turn to Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. And who's the character we're looking at again? And what are we trying to learn about him? The cost of discipleship. That's right. Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to read this. We're reading, I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible this morning. And the word says in Acts chapter 10, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohorts, a devout man who feared God, with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. But the ninth hour 
of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come and say to him, Cornelius. And he, he was startled, stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now, send men to Joppa and bring one, Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodged with one, he is lodged with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among these who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. By the way, I realize it's 12. Um, one pastor said when, 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 when the pastor says in closing, you know he has 30 minutes left. So in closing, let's continue. Um, I'm looking at... Godfrey for, is he laughing? And no. <laughs> what do you notice about Cornelius? What's one of the first things you know about him? Where he's from, but, but after that. He's a devout man, absolutely. What is his job? He's a centurion. Okay, let's think about this not at Bible, Bible times, because we think Bible times, we think of older movies, you know, with, with um, maybe Ben-Hur or something like that, fuzzy screens. We think of these soldiers and these people and they're interacting together. Let's go into a little bit more of the culture. Centurion, popular with the Jews or not popular with the Jews most of the time. If you're a Roman soldier, what's your status among the Jews? You're not popular. But... Look at this. We learn that this centurion called Cornelius, he, what does he do? He is a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. This is speaking specifically about praying to, to Jehovah, to Yahweh, to the Jewish God. Um, one commentary I was looking at, Clinton Arnold's commentary on Acts published by Zondervan, says that th this, this description of giving alms is not just denoting giving alms to poor people, but giving alms to, guess who? The Jewish people. Yeah, to God, to, to the temple, to the synagogues. This man Cornelius is not just giving alms um, to poor people, he's giving alms to the Jewish people. He's giving alms to to the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and so on. This man is in what kind of relationship with the Jews? What's the status, good or bad? Good, right? Because it's like, whoa, he's helping us out. Um, this man, though, let's think about his status with the Romans. Um, what is he like with the Romans? Let's think about it. Bible doesn't say this. This is all, this is all speculatory, but let's think about this. What if one of our soldiers in Afghanistan converted to, to Islam? How would most, or maybe not most, I shouldn't say that, how would many of the United States population feel about that particular officer? They'd probably be very, you know, very suspicious, or what's another word we could use? Maybe, maybe, um, maybe a little nervous, a little scared. Uh, incredulous is what I was thinking. Maybe they would be a little put off by that. So this man, what is he doing? He's kind of sacrificing some of that 
that allegiance there, because that allegiance is supposed to be reserved for the emperor. But he's not just giving, he's not giving that emperor the allegiance that he once had, that sole allegiance. Who is he giving his allegiance to? To the Jewish God. So what kind of status do you think this would put with him with the Romans? Probably not as favorable, right? Not as favorable. So, something else to recognize is this group that he's a part of. The Italian cohort. This um, regiment of soldiers is, is actually um, known archaeologically and historically. They were a group of Roman citizens, not from Rome, but actually from um, other parts of, of um, Spain, I think it was, and, and Turkey as well. And what these men were, specifically their job description, was they were archers. They were archers in the Roman military. Now, these were free men. So, if you're a free man, but you're in the military, how did you get there? They volunteered. This man is a man who has volunteered his time to serve the Romans. So, that probably puts his status up with the Romans, right? Now let's think about this. I want to emphasize that Cornelius is a man of sacrifice. Picture that. Cornelius is a man of sacrifice. What's the first thing we know about him? He's a centurion with this volunteer group, the Italian cohort, this group of archers that volunteered their time, freed men, not even Roman, um, not, not even born in Rome, but Roman citizens, volunteer soldier. What is he doing? He's a devout man who feared God with all his household. So that, he kind of puts his status with the Romans um, in order to please God. Where is he putting that status? He's putting it kind of maybe away from how the Romans would want, but he's, he's being more favorable towards the Jews. That doesn't really matter. If you're doing political things, you're going to want to be in good with the, the, the big power, right? So he's sacrificing his maybe his status for being close to God, right? So, two things. He's a volunteer soldier. He's sacrificing maybe a higher position so he can follow um, God, so he can follow his convictions about uh, Jehovah being the true God. What's another thing? He gives alms. So, he gives alms. He gives himself tangibly, right? He gives himself in a tangible way. He gives of his income. So this man, could we say that Cornelius is a very giving individual? Could we say that? I'm trying to emphasize that. Is, are, 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 you, are you satisfied? Has that, has that convinced you? Cornelius is a very giving man. He's a very giving man. Okay, so we see Cornelius here. He is following God to the best of his knowledge, right? And what happens? What happens in verse 3? About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come down to him and say, Cornelius, skipping down um, to the middle of verse 4, and he said to him, Your prayers are answered, your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa to bring one Simon who is called Peter. Okay, so he is going to go seek this Peter. What is this man Cornelius thinking about? He's probably thinking, good, I'm in favor with who? 
with God, right? He's in favor with God. He's been doing the right things and now is his reward. Now the angel has come to him and he's going to meet with this man who's going to give him further instruction on how to follow God. Is that a good thing to be open to that? Yes, it is good. Is it good to be sacrificial? Yes. Amen. Amen. Cornelius goes and he seeks Peter. I think it's interesting that where did Jonah run off to? He ran off to Joppa, right? Well, many people would say that this is the beginning, and here, right here, is the beginning of the ministry to the Gentiles. It's funny how um, Jonah running away from the Gentiles went to Joppa, but God kind of begins his work to the Gentiles again where? In Joppa. It's kind of interesting. I thought it was kind of cool. So, um, when we look at this, we see that Peter also has a vision, and many of us are familiar with it. I'm not going to have time to read it today because we have to do this rapid fire. But when we look at this um, vision, what do we see? Someone describe it to me. Peter is on the roof of a house, right? And he sees this thing coming from the sky. And what is this thing? It's a sheet. And what is it full of? Animals. Good, good, clean tofu chicken? No! What type of animals? Unclean, right? We see unclean animals. And what is the Lord's express command to Peter at this point? Arise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, Peter, who is not just any type of Jew, Jew he, he is a zealot. He's a very, very um, Jewish in his identity to the point where he, he, he's a fighter. Um, perhaps at this point he's not a zealot anymore, but he still is clinging very much to that, 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 um, that traditional element. Now obviously we keep the health message, amen? And I think that when we look at the story, it's important to grasp what is God trying to communicate with Peter? Is it something about diet? No. So we shouldn't take it as something to mean diet. It is a, a representation. We'd no more take um, the beast coming out of the sea in Revelation, or in Revelation 13 as a literal thing, right? Well, you know, it's figurative, but then also at the end of time we're going to see uh, Godzilla come out of the ocean. We don't believe that, right? So we shouldn't take this e the, the same way. We shouldn't take that this way either. So we see Peter, and he's being asked to kill and eat these things that he knows, A, are unclean, and he probably knows too, these things aren't good for me. Now, Peter tells God no three times. Now, that sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Um, looking at verse 17, this is the end of the, or actually verse 15 and 16. This is God's answer to Peter. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry of Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon was called, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, what did it say? Verse 19, 
Behold the, the behold, three <laughs> behold, three men are looking for you. All of a sudden, Peter realizes this wasn't talking about food. What was it talking about? It was talking about the Gentiles. Okay, question, Bible scholars. Story involves Peter, a sheet, a house, and something that was called unclean that is not this story. What's another story you can think of? Peter, a sheet, a house, something called unclean. Yeah, the paralytic, the man that was lowered down in Mark chapter 2, right? So we see the story of, of these men breaking through the, the roof where Jesus was around because remember, it was filled with people and they lower their friend down and they ask Jesus for that healing, right? Actually, they don't ask him for anything. Jesus knows what they're doing. Um, what's interesting about that is what type of... What type of person were you considered if you had something like that happen to you? You were a paralytic, you were sick, leprosy. Unclean, right? You were a sinner. You were a sinner. This person would have been despised or at least not thought of, you know, someone that you should wreck a perfectly good roof for. Um, and so these, these friends lower their friend down and Jesus cleanses him. And I imagine Peter as this, this upcoming disciple, this, this still probably clinging on to a zealotness, um, sees this. He's probably thinking, what is Jesus going to do? He's probably thinking Jesus is going to, I don't know, maybe you know, cast this guy away. He's done miracles. Maybe he'll turn him into a, a frog or something. Um, so we see that, that Peter and, and this, this whole crowd they were also, borrowing that word from before, incredulous probably about this man being healed by Jesus. But what does Jesus do? He forgives him of his sins, right? First off, son, your sins are forgiven me. This is Mark chapter 2. What's the second thing he does? Heals him physically. So Peter's already been exposed to something like this. Next, what is he exposed to? The sheet and then all of a sudden, this, these three visitors from Cornelius. Jesus was trying to get through to Peter's mind that human beings, regardless of whatever status they are, have not gone too far to hear the Gospel. Do you get that? Peter had to be broken through. He had so many walls, so many things he needed to have broken down in order for him to be willing and ready to share the gospel. I have to tell you, the first time that I ever preached at an evangelistic series, I looked around and there were some, it, it kind of looked like the DMV. You go into the DMV and you see these odd looking people, right? There's guys, oh, you know, so things like that. And, and, and I went to this evangelistic series and I saw these people and, and I was just like, where are the normal people? Where's the, you know, where's the TV commercial people, right? And, and then I realized that I was condemning, I was calling something unclean, some people unclean that who Jesus was desperately trying to reach. And here's my question for us, our preliminary um, appeal. What people in your own life 
are you keeping back from the gospel? What own people in your life are you afraid of sharing? Oh, well, they're my family, so I'm not going to get into religious things with them. First, we're going to fight. And second, you know, it's just not going to be fun. Because they, you know. What people are we afraid of sharing the gospel with? Let's take the advice of Peter and not have to have that experience twice. Let's recognize that what God has called clean, we should not call unclean. Okay, side note, back to Cornelius. Cornelius is what type of man? Let's remember that. He is a centurion, but, but what if, if you were going to describe Cornelius in an adjective as opposed to a pronoun, what would you describe him as or give a job description? What would you describe him as? He's a giving man, right? He's a giving man. He's a selfless man. Now what's awesome is Cornelius, no doubt, has experienced these, these um, prejudices and segregations before. I, I'm sure he, was, he wasn't allowed in the temple. He wasn't allowed at many of these different things because he was a pagan. Um, but Cornelius recognizes that he needs to follow what God's leading him to. He needs to recognize where God is taking him. So let's look at this. And we're going to start in verse... Let's get the sermon notes ready. That's good. Let's go to Acts 10. And we're there. <laughs> and let's look at verse 34. What does Peter start sharing with Cornelius when he meets them? So Peter, Peter, Peter opened his mouth totally... Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Cornelius sounds good, right? It's good. But why does God show no partiality? Look at that. For as, the, as for the word that he has sent to Israel preaching good news of Christ through, or of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened through all Judea, being from Galilee. After the baptism of John proclaimed how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we were witnesses of all he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on a third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. What does Peter start preaching to him? To Cornelius. He starts preaching to him the Gospel as raw as you can give it, right? He came to this world, God in the flesh. He lived among us. He healed all who were oppressed by the devil. He was baptized by John. He was crucified and then he was raised. He's preaching to him the raw gospel. Question, what do you think Cornelius was there to hear? In my mind, I'm thinking Cornelius might be kind of like on a, a treasure hunt, right? What thing should I do next? I'm praying to God daily. I'm giving alms. I'm taking care of the temple. I'm thinking about converting to Judaism. I volunteered my time as a, a Roman soldier to protect people and, give, and keep the peace. 
What is God's next requirement of me? But what does Peter give him? He gives him the Gospel. He says, look, you want to know why there is this equality? You, you want to know why I'm meeting with you even though I'm a Jew and you're a Gentile? It's because Jesus has brought us to the same place. We always were at the same place, but Jesus has brought us all to the same level. We are at equal footing on Calvary. Amen? We are equal. And this is why I will love you, and this is why you will love me. I think of, of the words of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, the, the Beatitudes, right? Very interesting. I'm not going to digress on this too much because we, we have to close this up. But the, the Beatitudes. What is the, the blessing for the first Beatitude? Blessed are the poor in, for they shall receive the kingdom of heaven. Right? Have you ever seen what the last beatitude is? Blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake. For theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. Those are the same two things, right? We're tempted to read that. It's like, well, if I do this one day, then I'll have this. And if I do this the other day, then I'll be called a child of God. And then this day, I'll, you know, they're the same thing. Jesus was trying to communicate what matters is the following Him. Amen? What matters is the continued following of Him. Cornelius was doing that, but he, for, he wasn't recognizing something. Something important. He was, wasn't recognizing that the reason that he could do that, the reason he could seek after what God wanted him to do next, was because Jesus had already cleared the way. Jesus had already cleared the way for him. And, Peter, when, and we, as we keep reading, verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard him. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter, or the, the Jews, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Now, how was it poured out? Verse 46. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, anyone withhold, or Can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who had received the Holy Spirit just as we have? In what capacity did they receive the Holy Spirit again? How, how, did they receive, how was it apparent they had received the Holy Spirit to onlookers? They were speaking in tongues. When is speaking in tongues, when is that gift bestowed on people that are, are believers in God? I think of Acts chapter 2, right? Were they just blabbering? What were they speaking? They were speaking their language. Were they speaking about the weather? Were they speaking about the, 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 um, the political um, environment around there in Galilee? What were they speaking about? They were preaching Jesus. They were preaching the Gospel. Think about this. As soon, while Peter was still speaking this message, guess what that means? Even before they'd heard all of it, what were they doing? They were evangelists. 
They had an evangelistic what? They had an evangelistic what? Yeah, a fervor. They were already proclaiming the Gospel to others who hadn't heard the truth. They were already proclaiming that truth. Cornelius, a giving man, finally realized why he was giving. It's because someone already gave all for him. He was recognizing that the reason he could sacrifice of himself was because anything he did wouldn't be a sacrifice. Because he would get something in return. And that return that he would get would be the love of Jesus Christ. That, that the acceptance of Jesus Christ. And the furthering of his discipleship. The cost of discipleship, brothers and sisters, yes, it does have sacrifice, but it's important to remember, why are we sacrificing? Why are we giving these things up? I must really look good to God because I gave another $40 at offering today. I went, I went glowing. I went glowing. Can you see me glowing? I look really good to God today. Why do we sacrifice? We sacrifice because we recognize what Jesus has done for us. Listen to this. Where's my phone? Chris told me to turn my phone off, so I did. Didn't turn it off. I muted it. Let's see. Um, check this quotation out and see if this doesn't break your heart. Every true disciple, every what kind of disciple? True disciple, meaning there are what types of disciples? False disciples. Do we want to be a true or false disciple? True disciple. Every true disciple is born into the kingdom of God as a missionary. In other words, if you are a true disciple, what are you? A missionary. If you are a Christian, what are you? A missionary. If you are not a missionary, what are you not? Think about that. Are we missionaries here? I believe those amens because I've seen it in this church. But let's think about that. Are we missionaries? When we wake up in the morning, what's our mission? When we wake up in the morning, what are we thinking about? Are we thinking, I love Jesus, and I love people, and I want to see as many people in the kingdom as possibly can be in the kingdom this day? Do we think that? Amen! We are a... We are... Does anyone remember... Let, let, let's try to quote that together. Does anyone remember the first line of Acts of the Apostles? First line of Acts of the Apostles. The church is God's appointed agency for the salvation of what? Souls. It was organized for what? Service. And what's its mission? To carry the gospel to all the world. Godfrey and I were, Pastor Godfrey and, uh, and I were at uh, CVCA, and he said something that really broke my heart. He said, if we are not responding to the Gospel, then we have not understood the Gospel. 
If, if we are not responding to that grace, we don't have an understanding of grace. Let's continue that quote. Every true disciple is born into the kingdom of God as a missionary. No sooner does he come to know the Savior than he desires to make others acquainted with Him. The saving and the sanctifying truth cannot be shut up in his heart. He who drinks of the living water becomes a fountain of life. The receiver becomes a giver. The grace of Christ in the soul is like a spring in the desert welling up to fresh all to refresh all and to make all those who are ready to perish eager to drink from the water of life. Brothers and sisters, we have something coming up. Been asked to make appeals specific, so this one's about as specific appeal as I've ever made. We have something coming up in 27 days. What is that? We have the, the, the evangelistic series, the prophecy series. And I believe, unfortunately, I'm not going to be as involved with that as I'd like you to, but I believe that this church is fired up about spreading the three angels' message about the Gospel. Amen? But we need volunteers. We've already had a list. It's been filled. But we need more. We need people to be there to greet people at the door. It's not so much just learning about Daniel 8.14. We need people there to meet with people, to befriend people, to invite people to bowling nights, to invite people to chill and fill. This is my call to you, church. This is as specific appeal as I've ever made. I challenge all of you, every single one of you, to attend at least three nights. That's not much. Attend at least three nights. Everyone, be it the opening night, everyone, be there when they speak about the Sabbath, and everyone be there when decisions are being made for baptism. At least three. I think that's the bare minimum. I think as many of us can, we need to be there at every single one. But I challenge you to be at least three of the meetings, to make friends with these people, and to seek them out for Jesus' kingdom. Because guess what? We've been hearing it our whole lives. Some of us that means 80 years. Some of us that might mean 90 years. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. And He wants to bring us liberty. He wants to bring us freedom. He wants to bring us that joy of knowing what it is to be a part of the Kingdom of Heaven. But church, you are the appointed agency. You are the people who are bringing people to Jesus. Something that I loved that was spoken about in Acts of the Apostles in that story about Cornelius is that an angel could have told Cornelius all of what Peter told him. But he didn't. If you won't reach those people, who else will? Lord willing, someone else. Lord willing, someone else. But I believe that this statement is true. No man is promised tomorrow, right? Brothers and sisters, 
it is quite possible for us to have blood on our hands. It is quite possible for someone not to be in heaven. And that, that decision that they've made not to be there is because we have not pursued them and loved them. Let this break our hearts. Brothers and sisters, you are called to be missionaries. You are called to bring peace that passes all understanding. You are called to be co-workers of angels. And this is what we need for even ourselves. We need that recognition that Jesus has died for us. We need that recognition that we are to love others. And so I'm going to say that appeal one more time and we're going to close. I challenge all of you, everyone, no excuse, three of the evangelistic meetings, all if you can, three if you, if you can't make it to all of them. The opening night, the night about the Sabbath, and the closing night where de decisions are made for baptism. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You so much for that that beautiful picture that we have of Cornelius and how he was willing to follow you. He was willing to sacrifice all before he even realized that you sacrificed all. Father, how much more should we who know that Jesus sacrificed all for us be willing to give you all things? We have but a little time left. And I pray that we would hasten that coming of your kingdom, that we would not wait for um, a cinematic um, outpouring of your Holy Spirit in the latter rain, but that we would, as with the counsel of the Spirit of Prophecy, continue to push forward. And as the latter rain falls, Father, we pray that we would be ready for that. May Jesus be uplifted in our hearts and minds. May all of our families be in the kingdom. May all of us know what it is to love you, to serve you. And may all of us know what it means to be a true disciple, a missionary for you. In your precious name, amen.